0: Listener Production.
1: Please leave your message after the tone. Why am I
0: jealous of my ex? I
1: am so stressed all the time. How do I get into a routine? Is TikTok making me anxious? I think I'm being manipulated. Someone told me you could live with half a brain.
0: This is Do You Fucking Mind? Mindset Hacks for a Badass Life. Hosted by me, Alexis Fernandez. All right, welcome, my beautiful beans, my beautiful listeners. This is a really exciting episode today for so many reasons, but the number one reason is because I have Gemma here from the Psychology of Your Twenties. Hi, Gemma.
1: Hi, I'm feeling so nervous. Oh my god, I I was nervous when I was on yours. Oh (laughs) really? Yes. (laughs) It's just so good to
0: have you on because, oh, firstly, I love. Everything you do, I love what you talk about. It's the best. Guys, if you haven't yet, we're going to do a proper explanation at the end of the episode. But if you haven't yet listened to The Psychology of Your 20s, definitely go check it out. I think a lot of my audience will be very much in line with what it is that you talk about. But it's, I love what you talk about. I love how you explain things. I also really value your personal perspective on so much of what you talk about. You're really vulnerable and you take the listeners on your personal journey as well. Which
1: is amazing. This is making me blush. I, <laughs> I stumble over my words. But I do get that because I feel like, mm. well, I said this on your episode when when you came on my show. I was like, when I was in uni, I used to listen to Do You Fucking Mind. Isn't that amazing? It's actually wild. I was talking to my one of my best friends, Kate, about it. And she was the one who introduced me oh, to wow. when I was like 18. That is so good. And it's crazy how it's like, obviously, I feel like a lot of the inspiration. Mm. or like, yeah, kind of unconsciously came from. What I liked listening to. So, anyhow, that's a bit of a tangent. Yeah, but. that's
0: really, yeah, I love that. And so, you were obviously doing your undergrad then, mm. and now you've got your own psychology podcast, which is awesome. Yeah. And the way you package things is amazing. And yeah. it's obviously targeted to people in their 20s. But I feel like you probably have a lot of listeners that might actually be well above their 20s that are like kind of retrospectively, yeah, you know, listening, thinking, oh, yeah, that's right. Like, that makes sense. I have people in there. Like my main audience is twenties to mid thirties, but I've got people in their sixties being like, "If only I had these lessons really? when." Yeah. yeah,
1: it's interesting because I feel like this generation is so much more aware of yeah. being vulnerable about their feelings, mm. understanding the universe, how universal their feelings are. Yeah, in a way than a lot of the older generation, and maybe this this is like the most common sense thing to say, but like the, you really start to realize that the conversations we have now have only been happening for about fifteen twenty years. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and so there's this whole generation of people who has like no insight into their own selves and like totally.
0: And I feel like because, and this is something you talk about, and I covered it on an episode I've just recorded, but this idea of like this construct of timelines in people's lives that they have to like tick all these boxes. And I think that especially like 20 years ago, 15, 20, and more you didn't really question that timeline Mm. and it was a lot harder to break out of that mould than it is now. And I think because there's more people breaking out of the mould, people question themselves more and then they're having more of these, like almost more of a crisis because they're like, Mm. well, which one am I? Am I going to be Mm -hmm. adhering to this timeline or am I doing, you know, because there's more examples of people doing it. So I feel like, I don't know, I feel like people are in a position where they want to live that life of Mm. going down the path that they feel is right versus all these social constructs that they have to adhere to, mm. um, which actually brings us to the topic of today's podcast episode. So eloquently as Which well. is, I know, I just flowed <laughs> into that quite yeah. seamlessly, <laughs> which is quarter-life crisis and mm. pretty much tackling your quarter-life crisis. The first thing I want to cover is, and you're so good at talking about this, so this is huge, um, imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. And I think that... People get imposter syndrome in so many different ways, shapes or forms. Like I've got a friend who's a very successful lawyer, like killing it. I can't tell you how many promotions promotions she's had. And she talks about it all the time. And I'm like, really? It was really, really amazing when she was like, you did an episode once on imposter syndrome ages ago. And she's like, I needed it. I need it. And I was like, wow, here's someone who's, I'm talking like killing it. And she's someone who really just opened up and said, I'm struggling so much. So I think the important thing to note about it is that it doesn't really discriminate. Yeah. With sounds kind of like it. Anywhere.
1: And kind of scary that it doesn't really disappear <laughs> with age or with more success. Yeah. I think it's so like when we talk about a quarter life crisis, obviously what we're discussing is like, there is a point in your twenties that I think a lot of us come across where everything just feels completely unknown mm. and we are, totally unsure of our future. We've perhaps been through a huge life change and we have, we have like an identity crisis, but also a very existential crisis of w- what is the meaning of life in this moment? What is actually going to make me feel fulfilled? What do I actually want out of this 60, 70, 80 years that I have on earth? Maybe less. Mm. And it's completely, utterly terrifying. And within that stream of the quarter life crisis, I think we have things like contributing factors and like very distinct experiences within that one of them is imposter syndrome imposter syndrome is my probably my biggest nemesis (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm just gonna say that right now. you and i were talking about this after we stopped recording we were Mm. talking about this feeling of like how long will this last is there like an expiry to this or obviously not so basically it's like imposter syndrome is just this sense of like i'm a fraud Mm. i do not deserve what i have I have somehow convinced everyone around me to believe in me and like, it must be a lie. And I've, I've like, I've lied to them and someday they're going to figure it out and they're going to realize that I'm not deserving of this, that I'm not as smart as I made myself seem and it's going to end in disaster. It's this sense of just like, you don't have a solid foundation of like beliefs about who you are, Mm. but also a belief in your own abilities and in your own skills and intelligence. So you just constantly feel like you're playing catch up with everyone around you, but also catch up with yourself where you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. You're waiting for someone to realize that you're actually not the person that you said you were. When you're in that space
0: and when you feed into those thoughts, I personally have found in my past when I've fed into those thoughts, my creativity goes out the window. Like I'm like paralyzed. I had this, especially in the first year of the podcast, I felt it a lot and I would think, what if a lecturer heard this? And I've spoken to lecturers in the past and they're like, oh, that's awesome what you're doing. That's really cool. Like they're Mm. obviously like, (laughs) love it. Yeah. But in my head, I'm like, but people who know more than I do, what are they going to think? And is this like, am I, is it good enough? Do I need a doctorate now? Do I, you know, unless you put an end to it, it's never going to end because you could be quote unquote perceived as the smartest person and still feel like one day the the, the cloth is going to, drop and mm. people are going to realize that I actually have nothing or I don't have anything. Mm. So I guess it's it's not this idea of until I prove that I'm good enough then it'll go away. It's almost like I have to tackle this feeling. Yeah. Because if you were a fraud then it's not imposter syndrome, is it? Like it, it's you you are a fraud, you know? Yeah. Like it's just one or the other you kind real. of both. yeah, like, it's yeah. real. Like you actually are lying and you're like managing to trick all these people. Mm. So it's like if it was a fluke how consistent would you be? Probably not that consistent. Like you've got to find ways of like how do I sit with this mm. and try to intervene with some logical statements that are going to like talk me down off the edge right now. Off
1: the edge, exactly. Mm. Well, I'm, I love what you just said about when you buy into your imposter syndrome, your creativity goes out the window mm. because fear is like the biggest stifler of all good things, Massively. creativity being one of them. Mm. And what I... I, like I said, imposter syndrome is something that I manage all the time. I'm constantly waiting to fail, to slip up, for someone to realize that I don't deserve this. And the thing that I started saying to myself was, this is boring. Imposter syndrome <laughs> yes. is boring. Like, I don't want to bore, like, it's boring. Like, it's the same <laughs> thing over and over again. It doesn't get any different. It doesn't change anything about my life. It no. doesn't make it better. I don't want to, I just don't want to deal with it anymore. And so it, it was actually so crazy because it took those fears off the pedestal of being something I should listen to, mm. right? Like I should listen to these fears. I should buy into these fears. They're important for my life to just a feeling, just a boring thing, Yeah, just a, just something I could discard, just yep. arbitrary. And it was such a powerful kind of like cognitive shift. I love what you said because I
0: think it's really interesting when you name something and give it like a label, mm. you can give or take away power to that thing so easily. Mm. Like when you make something in your head, when you label it as this massive thing, it's consuming my life. It does. It will do that thing. And then like boring is a great one because I think it's like there's no emotion attached to boring. Absolutely. So it's like you're really... And I talk about like on the podcast about like just neutralizing intense thoughts. Like that's a great way to just neutralize it because you're not trying to turn it around saying, no, I'm actually amazing. You know, and that just adds more intensity in another Mm. way because you're like, but am I, am I not? But to just neutralize it by saying this is boring. You're just removing that intense emotion you've got attached to it. Yes. But I feel like, I don't know, I feel like no matter your career, no matter where I think people struggle with it massively, especially in their 20s, because it is that. Yeah
1: especially yeah. women as well. That's yeah. like another factor that we need to point out mm. because I think that a lot of women although we live in like a much more progressive world, there is still a lot of like implicit learning around women needing to work harder, perhaps women being mm-hmm. less deserving, women being silenced especially in the workplace that infu- like very much infiltrates how we see ourselves and infiltrates this like core set of beliefs that makes us feel like we shouldn't be where we are, that mm. we don't deserve what we have, that we are once again an imposter. So I don't know. I feel like something to look at when I understood yeah. that as well, I was like, Oh, I'm like actually the perfect candidate for <laughs> this feeling. For this feel. Yeah, yeah. And it's true. And, and I think that there's
0: this interesting thing and I heard someone, so it was, I wish I could remember the name, but someone was being interviewed on a, it was a politician who was being interviewed. She's retired since. And she was talking about how in Like politics, there's this, you know, women just have to brush it off and just Mm. push through, and it's it's like it's a dog it dog world, and you know, but it's kind of like that kind of falls into the imposter syndrome because you don't want to stand up and say, hey, I don't have to put up with this, I don't have to put up with this treatment just because I'm a woman, because if you do that, they're going to be like, oh, you want a handout, oh, you want this, oh, you want that, and it's Mm. like I have to work twice as hard, put up with twice as much shit just to
1: be as close to even as possible with my peers, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh my God, that makes me so angry when I think about that. <laughs> I know. And then it's like, then you start buying into it as well. And you're mm. like, and then where, how are you going to get out of that? How do you get out of it? If you're not complaining, if you're not standing up because you're like,
0: I can't because it'll be yeah. detrimental. So it's like, this, yeah. This,
1: yeah. Or yeah. you start to believe it. That's the worst thing. Yeah. If someone says it to you enough, if you are sold the idea enough by like the media, by everything around you, mm. that's like awful. Totally. Which is, we just got into a dark place here. <laughs>
0: Everything's
1: oh my fucked. God! <laughs> <laughs> You're all fucked. You're all fucked. <laughs> get that fucking good luck. K- syndrome. Good luck. <laughs> oh my
0: God. But yeah, I think I think one of the good ways to tackle it is a realizing other people have it, mm-hmm. no matter where they are in their career, that other people have it. Even like big, 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 big stars, comedians rah, have it. You yeah. know, so it's I think it's something that you know anyone can have it. It's just a way of like, how am I going to actually deal with this? Like calling it boring and finding a way to remove mm. the emotion? Am I going to find like logical thoughts to intercept it? Because I think a lot of people think, how can I just be happy all the time? How can I be happy all the time? It's not about that because I don't think we can be happy all the time. I don't think that's what we're designed to do, to just mm. be happy all the time. So I think the, instead of thinking this, pressuring yourself with always feeling good, I think instead you want to change it to when I don't feel good, how can I tackle it differently,
1: mm, you know? Exactly. It's not about trying to stop yourself from feeling the feeling. Mm. Because I also think the more you try and avoid feeling something, the stronger it becomes. Totally, Because you're basically giving it all of the control. Yeah, the resisting takes it's up all your resist- energy. Ex- oh, exactly. That yeah. as well. Like, anytime you try to avoid something, you immediately give it more power. Yeah. So it's about being like, okay, this is an emotional experience. This is just an emotion. It's not the truth. I'm going to allow it to flow through my life yeah, and it can come and go as it pleases. Yeah. Sometimes I do this thing where I go, where I say to myself, I know that what I'm feeling right now is imposter syndrome. I I name it, I label Mm -hmm. it. And I go, okay, I'm going to give it 30 seconds to do whatever it wants to do right now. Yeah, it's like exposure therapy. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I'm like full control, like imposter syndrome, go to town. Like just say what you want to say, ruin my life, but Mm -hmm. you only have 30 seconds to do it. (laughs) And That's then I'm like am so good yeah and then I enter out. I'm like, okay, well, I gave you thirty seconds so moving on I'm very generous yeah
0: <laughs> it's true and so I I read this really interesting study that was done on people that had like fear of spiders mm. and they would go into a room and they would interact well not physically touch them, but how would have to see a spider all of that and then they'd leave and the ones that were like, I'm not scared, I'm not scared I'm not scared were the ones that their fear increased mm. afterwards the ones that would just name their emotion. Out of, I think there were three groups. One had to say, I'm good, I'm good, I'm fine, I'm fine. The other was just neutral, doing nothing, and the others had to name it. I am, this is fear. I am scared of this happening. Mm. And the ones that named it seemed to be able to compartmentalise it as one aspect of their life and not consume it. And because fear is just fear, the same mm. would be for emotions, you know? Yes. Well, you're just naming it. This is this. I'm not mm. avoiding it. I'm not shoving it under the rug. But I'm acknowledging it as just part of my mm, daily The existence, you
1: know. of the part of being human. Yeah, the yeah, actually part of that as well as talk to your friends about it. Mm. So obviously, we're having this. We had this conversation a couple of weeks ago, yeah. where we were like, "Hey, are you feeling this way?" And yes. you were like, "Yeah, I'm feeling this way." <laughs> and I was like, "Great, not great, but you yeah, know." But I'm, it is great. It's, it's great because, because you can talk about nice. it. Yeah, I was like, "Wow, I'm." There is this this other person who is doing mm. some, somewhat similar things to me who is further along in their career. And it was actually quite validating to be yeah. like, wow. And also just as like, a, I think in this industry, we don't really have colleagues. So we we're talking about that and we're special professionals. We're special professionals. <laughs> That's our title <laughs> and the our tax yeah. return. Tax returns, yeah. <laughs> it's very lonely being a special professional. Um But actually like when you are vulnerable with people, when you go like, hey, I'm just feeling like a lot of imposter syndrome today. Like I'm just feeling pretty crap about myself. Mm. Um, Don't need you to make me feel better. That's just what I'm experiencing. Like, I would say 99% of the time, someone will be like, yeah, I totally get that. Yep. I've been there. And you realize that there really isn't anyone out there who is unscathed Mm. by this, unless they are completely, utterly arrogant, in which case they've got their own problems. Exactly. Exactly. Probably better to be a little bit humbled by yourself than completely consumed by yourself. Yeah. Which actually
0: leads me to the next thing I wanted to be talking about is kind of the career anxiety yeah, and also feeling lost. So I think this could tie into not knowing what you want to do or not knowing if what you're doing is the right thing or if it's got longevity or Mm. if, you know. The longevity. The
1: longevity. That's my least favourite word. Mm, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's it's another big part of the quarter-life crisis. A big part of it is fearing or feeling very... Like very much like you're on shaky ground when it comes to your career, Mm. because I think that we experience a lot of this pressure straight out the gate from high school, university to be like, all right, you got to start investing in your career. You spent the first 22 years of your life in an education system. What are you going to do with that? Yeah. You better find something real quick because you don't want to waste your time here.
0: Yeah. This idea of wasting time. Wasting yeah. time.
1: And also that this is like the time to choose because otherwise the people who choose are going to get a one up on you. Yep. Like if you, you know, if you don't decide to be an investment banker now, it's going to be a lot harder to come back in five mm. years. Or if you don't want to be a doctor now, like if you're doing this one thing, um, it's going to be so hard to change later in life. I absolutely despise that. Yeah. And it's not that I despise the people who think it. I despise that society has taught us that. Like it's just so untrue. I'm sure you've experienced it as well. 100%. And it's this, I need to know
0: what I want and then lock it in and start working towards it now. And Mm. I look at what I wanted when I was 20, 21 and what I want now at 34. And I'm like, whoa. Because you wanted to be an actress. Yes. I wanted to be an actress out of pure chance. By 20, I started my undergrad. 20. Yeah. At 20, I started my undergrad and was just doing a whole bunch of random subjects because I'm like, well, I'm bored waiting for an Mm. audition to roll around. And I I did enjoy the idea of uni and my friends were at uni. So I'm like, yeah, I'll just go. Yeah. And I started with like Psych 101, French, History, Spanish, like just random Mm. things and then I slot into neuroscience by chance. But I even, never even looked at neuroscience as a career option. I'm like, oh, the brain's really interesting. This is all this is cool. But I was like, <sighs> actor, 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 actor. And then even as that was not doing well, then I didn't even think about my undergrad because I'm like, well, I can never use that. I don't even know what I want. So I then went into fitness. And yeah. I was like acting in fitness. And then with fitness, I'm like,
1: do I want to be telling someone how to lunch in 50 years' time? I don't know. Like, mm. you know, I'm... I'm pretty sure they'll figure it out by then. <laughs> <Any> <laughs> Hopefully, long time learn. Yeah, and I was like, I love it, but it's not. You know how you can love something, but it's not a mm. passion. Yes,
0: a hundred percent. You know, and yeah. I loved it, but I'm like, I know that I don't have the emotional longevity in this thing. Mm. And I, I loved the fitness industry, but I was just like, I just don't feel like this is the right fit. And then if I just invest everything in this, will I want to do this for the next for until whenever? You know, mm. so. What and when I gave up acting—that was a huge like crisis moment for me.
1: I can imagine, and
0: it happened in a crisis because, yeah. like, I don't think it could have happened outside of a crisis because I would have been too anxious about it. Like, I just had the worst year of my life, and like, three of my grandparents passed away, my dog died, my acting agent dropped me, my I got dumped—all oh in the God. span of like fourteen months—and oh I was my God. not okay.
1: Yeah, I can... <laughs> imagine if you were. I was like, I'm fuck. Gonna
0: by the world. It was
1: horrible. I felt
0: like a shell of a human. And I remember, and I was like 26 at the time. And I was like, what do I have? Like that's going for me right now. I'm just not, this is what like the whole catalyst that moved me to France. But Mm. I remember thinking, I'm going to give up acting for six months just because... I just need some time to reset and to approach it with fresh eyes. My agent just dropped me instead of looking for a new agent, maybe just six months off. And it was only because of this time that I went through that was so intense emotionally, it pushed me to just not do it. Mm. And then one month in, I was like, I'm never going back. I feel so good. Like, I really? just love this. I think knowing when to
1: quit is also like a it's skill. It's like this choice overload idea, which mm. I love to speak about. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. But so basically it's like in our 20s in particular – and in our 30s, in an old life, we have a lot of options. There are a lot of hypothetical lives that we could live. You could be an actor. Mm-hmm. You could be an Olympian. You could, you know, be an entrepreneur. You could be a teacher. Like, there are all these choices. And we tend to think that when we have more choices, it's better. Mm. Because it means that we have more freedom. Mm. But actually, they did this series of studies using JAM, actually, at Stanford <laughs> University. And what they found was that, Actually, humans respond better when there are fewer choices available to them. So when there's 24 jams, no one buys a jam. When there's six jams, people buy a jam because they're like, I'm not going to have to deal with the idea that maybe I chose wrong because my choices are more limited. So the the ideal option is more clear to me. And often we get scared of being more limited or having things like, as you were explaining, doors close in Mm -hmm. our faces and feeling like, okay, well my life's over now but what these studies really show is that perhaps what's actually making you feel stuck is this paralysis Mm. because you feel like there are a million different dream lives that you could live and of course you're going to approach that with like this very golden idea of like every single one of these is going to be amazing being a full-time mom that's going to be the best thing ever traveling for the rest of my life also amazing But then when doors slowly close, you realize, actually, that life probably wouldn't have left me satisfied. Yeah.
0: And I think people are fearful of making the one choice because it's like, Mm. if I take a step forward here, all these other options now are not an option for me.
1: Huge. So it's
0: this fear of missing out. But the problem is, if you don't take one option, you're sitting in potential and potential is nothing unless you do something.
1: Sitting in potential. I love that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That is like such a great phrase. Yeah. And like, it feels exciting, but it's not giving you anything really. Mm. And it's. I love that study about the, I love that jam study because so good, it, it reminds me of one that was, again, I don't, oh, I wish, I have like all these studies that i am yeah. like read and I'm like, which one's this one? And I've mentioned it on my podcast before, but it was about artwork where there were two groups of people and they would go in and there was like six different artworks and you'd have to choose one. One group would be like, you go in, you number them one to six, and after they numbered it one to six, I think they were given like their second favourite to take home and that's it. They can't change their mind. It's theirs to take. Okay? Yeah. Um. The second group was like you pick the one you want, but you've got three days to change your mind. You can come back and change it at any time for another one. <laughs> Two weeks after they had done that, whether they changed it or not and the ones that chose it, the people that chose the second option but then couldn't Change it. Yeah. We're really happy with it. They were like, yeah. I love this artwork. I love it. I'm really happy. Or a photography print, whatever it was. They were like, I'm so happy. The group that chose their number one option but had three days to change their mind still weren't sure if they had made the right decision. Oh they, my were, gosh. they were like, oh mm, I think, oh, I don't know. Mm. I fucked up. I should have it's this back and forth. It's I think sometimes you need a finality of like, all right, you don't have one foot in this door, one foot in that door, you've the door's closed, you've made the decision. Yeah. You're more likely to invest your all in it. If you're sitting floating between options, you're never going to be fully committed. And you're always going to feel like, is that better there? I don't know. Like you're you're never, you know, whereas if it's like the doors closed, that's kind of like when, even when people break up with people, it's like sever the tie with me. If you're not like, if we're not together, we're we're not, I don't want this.
1: Maybe in the Mm. future I will. I think that's so cruel when people do that. Absolutely not. I was talking about this with my partner the other day. The other one is people who stay with people for security when they know that they don't want to be with yes, them. Yes, um, yes, oh yes. I get, I get why that happens. I think that it's very nuanced. Obviously, I, I, I do believe that there is very few people in the world who want to hurt other people. Same, yeah. I really, I don't know, maybe it's naive, but I do But I a do lot of that. it's not
0: intentional. It's not intentional. Yeah. It's
1: like this unconscious thing that there's so much, so much past stuff that just, like, shows up in your behaviour and what people would call toxic behaviours, but mm. I really just think it's friction with the self. Like, yeah. Anyhow, sorry, tangent. Are- <laughs> 100%. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I just really, I, I think it's the same with, with relationships, right? Where it's like, oh, I'm constantly looking. If you're constantly looking for a better option, you're A, probably not going to find one, mm. and B, you're going to be, become incredibly dissatisfied with the person you're with, when you probably should just not be with them mm. because it's unfair, it's hurting them. And it really, like I think, relates back to the sense of like, when you, sometimes I think our 20s are the curse of, too many options like that's we Massively. think yeah it's like you have too many options you have, there's too many people available to to match with yes. there's too many jobs that like you potentially could do there's too many different lives to choose from that it makes us feel pretty stuck pretty stuck and scared to make yeah. the wrong decision
0: because if you knew that that It would succeed no matter what. Then it'd be like, okay, maybe it's a bit easier. If you knew that no matter who you matched with, it would be the love of your life. It'd be easier. But it's this fear of like, well, there's so many options. What if this isn't it? And then I think like back to the career thing, Mm. first choosing your career, that's what fucks so many people over. And then I think such a big fear is a lot of people will start a career, do a degree in it. And it's that like sunk cost fallacy where they're like, well, I've done it. I've done it now. I can't quit. I just graduated or I'm one year in and I hate it. So then they feel like they have to stay. And then they also feel like they can't leave because they're like, well, I don't know what the alternative is. Mm. So I'm stuck,
1: you know. And then you just end up on a path of like, I think, resentment. Mm. Like you resent yourself for, you know, putting more time, more energy in, meaning that it would have been even harder in the future yeah. to, to walk away. So I think the thing with sunk costs as well is that the decision is made at like 18 most mm. of the time, like 18 or 19, pretty young. Yeah. Um. And it immediately requires a lot of commitment to yeah. do like a year or two or three in this degree. But the thing that I always say is that you can always start again. The biggest th- fear people have is like, well, it's going to take so much time. You know, if I already have this degree... But now I've decided I want to do law. Or I want to do neuroscience. Or I want to do psychology. Mm-hmm. Like, well, now it's going to be another three years mm. before I can really start my life, quote unquote. It's like that p- time is going to pass anyway. Hundred
0: percent. Oh my god, that's what. Yes.
1: Yeah. Like, either do something with it or is not. It's going to pass. Yeah.
0: You could be okay, making less money, but studying towards something you really love. Mm. Or you could be in this career being like, oh, I really should quit. I really
1: should quit. I really should quit. In three years' time, you're like, fuck, three I years old should quit. Just, yeah. And now it's going to be another three. Like, just take the bet on yourself. Like, yeah. stop waiting for someone that. else to come in and be like, hey, kid, like, I actually think you'd be great at that. Mm. And I'm going to give you a job if you just tell me to, that you're going to do three years of this degree or you're going to go and do some new internships or you're going to go and explore your passion. No one is going to come and do that for you. That's so true. You have to, yeah, it's like you have to bet on yourself and you have to be able to show people that you believe in your abilities, even if they're not quite there yet. Like you believe in at least in your tenacity and your capacity to build skill.
0: Yeah, your ability to get better at something, to learn, to grow. It's a better way of putting it. And I think that people are so terrified of like failure that I think you just need to reframe how you look at failure because just because something didn't work out for you or just because you quote-unquote failed, it's not a loss necessarily. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's many things that I've done that I could look at it and be like, wow, that's a failure, that's a that's a waste of time. Relationships that I've been in, I still lived, you yeah, know. You were still alive. <laughs> it's not now deleted out of my life now that yeah. it's not still in my life, yeah. you know.
1: <laughs> was a dead, dark chapter. Yeah, just blacked
0: out. <laughs> oh my god! Seriously, some relationships are the <laughs> same. Like, besides sh- the point. <laughs> Maybe I should black that out. <laughs> but yeah, it's this idea of like, if you can look at something and and say, okay, well, it, it doesn't serve me now. However, I can still, I can change what I'm doing, but still look at these years as I've gained something. There's all these things I can tick off that I've gained. I don't think no matter what you study, I don't think it's ever a waste. You gain skills even if they're not directly relevant skills. Like for me, going to uni, there were so many subjects that I don't use now. That taught me so much as how to just operate, how to hold focus, how to Mm. do things I don't want to do. Life is made up of so many things you don't want to do and that's just life. You can't – I think if you set a goal of like, I just want to be happy and love everything I do, you're going to be so disappointed because Mm – even in my career, which I love as a podcaster, there are things that I don't want to do that I have to do, but I love the result of having done that thing. Mm-hmm. So if you can kind of look at your life being like, it's a
1: balance <laughs> of things yeah. I don't
0: want to do, as long as the result is fulfilling,
1: then it's the right thing, you know? yeah. Sometimes you got to do hard things for really good outcomes. Exactly. Like I think I used to have this saying that anything easy isn't particularly worth having, mm. Um Which I think I would probably revise now. But when it comes to long-term goals, I do really believe it. It's like if this big idea you have in your mind was easy, everyone would be doing it. It'd be done. It would be done. And everyone would already be at the finish line waiting for you. It wouldn't feel as great. That's so true. But when you have like those really hard, like goals that are going to require hard work or at least like. Parts of your job that aren't always going to be easy, but you're committed to it. It actually mm. shows mental strength. It shows that you're consistent. It shows that you're resilient. Yeah. It shows that you, once again, are willing to, like, actually invest time in yourself. Yeah. And be like, yeah, maybe I don't want to do this now, but my future self is going to thank me. I actually think that's more val That's valuable. A
0: hundred percent. And I feel like if you can show yourself, because I, I think, so I was always talk about, like, the three things that I think equal happiness. Mm. And it's... Growth, always growing. It's And, and it's, it's not about winning. It's like what am I growing in? What am I learning? What am I overcoming today? So growth, connection with other people, like real connection, and a purpose. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of people think this is one thing we could talk about, pu- finding your purpose when you're young, because I think a lot of people think purpose is career and I have to be a philanthropist and now
1: I have to no. save the world. No.
0: And I'm like N- absolutely not. I think it's
1: almost – almost – So much easier on yourself if your purpose and your career are not linked. Yeah. You know? Oh, my God. Absolutely. I'm sorry. But as someone whose sense of purpose and career is linked... Same. I was going (laughs) to say, you understand this. Like, it is... You have to love... Especially not just your purpose, but your passion as Mm. well. You have to love it or be committed to it 150, 200%. (laughs) Because making it your source of income is going to take away about 100% of that joy. (laughs) So you've got Roughly. to love it two hundred percent in order to still love it a hundred percent, and I do think that it's possible. Like I still absolutely love my job. Same, and...
0: but it is. But then all these other things come into play. Yeah. You know, like when I first started the podcast, it was purely just purpose and passion. Yeah. And then too. you're doing your
1: quarterly bass.
0: You're fucking. You got your tax. You're doing oh, this. You're doing that. You all these professional. sort of <laughs> special professionals have to deal with all these other random yeah. things that you don't know, think about at the start. That overall, it's fine. Mm. But in, independently, they are causing you stress. They are whatever. So if you're someone that thinks, oh, my job," career has to be my purpose. It doesn't broaden what you're Mm. looking at as a purpose because you're likely going to find something that is so fucking fulfilling. And you're going to realize that not everyone has to be some high flying boss bitch. Oh my God, I've started my own business in order to feel truly fulfilled. I think there's this false kind of, almost like a pressure for some people that in order to be killing it, I have to have gone mm. out on my own and done this thing for my... it's like, there is a beauty of the nine to five as well. If that's what aligns with you, you might want to go do your work for a, a company that's not your own and then switch off at five. Yeah. That
1: to me sounds so nice sometimes. I'm oh like, I God, love right? the idea of that. And then you get to do things that is your purpose. I have a really good example of this. A really good friend of mine or has the saying is like, my job is not, my meaning in life Mm. my job is just a way for me to make money to fund the things that i really love Mm. and she works a nine to five and she's so strict with it she's like all right it's five o'clock we're out of here yep no i'm not gonna do extra work you want me to come in early all right are we doing an overtime request then like (laughs) yes and she she's like work is just a means to an end Mm. and the rest of my life is where the living truly happens i love that and she she really she she does it. She goes she goes hiking all the time. Yep. She constantly has little projects. She's super creative. Mm. She spends a lot of time with like the people that she loves. Like it's just beautiful where I'm like, wow, your life is so full. So and so balanced. So balanced. You know? She's a legend.
0: And it and it doesn't mean that you can't love what you do and be great at it. You can still give it your all. Be there when you're there. You know, like be in the mm. zone, be present maximize your day while you're working. You can still love it, but five o'clock hits, say ya and
1: <laughs> you're out the door, you know. <laughs> Honestly,
0: I feel I could talk about career anxiety forever. I know. But also, okay, one thing before we get into friendships changing in your 20s, that's another dot point I had. But another thing about that, I'm about to lose my train of thought. You know where you can feel it leaving go, your brain. Go, go. Ooh, oh, okay. Got it. So when you were saying you got those three days, you know, one for yourself, one for socialising, one for your chores. um, I think a lot of people, when it comes to this quarter life crisis pressure, a lot of their awareness is eaten up by, I have to achieve this. My happiness will come here. That, what you were explaining, if everyone had the opportunity to do that, I think they would find that their happiness is in the experiencing of life outside of your career. And it's not to say to not have career aspirations because you do, I do, most of us do. But I think to be able to switch off and really enjoy life almost makes my career more enjoyable, you Mm -hmm. know, and it almost makes it less, you know, when I set a goal for myself, it's not, this is the be all end all because it's the only thing that will make me happy. It's like, I'm actually happy outside of this. So I'm less resistant to failing or succeeding in my career Mm. And then
1: ironically, it probably succeeds easier because I'm not in the way. Oh my God, you're not in the way. You know? Well, it's like this idea of like milestone happiness where Mm. it's like, if we start to adopt that thinking of like the only thing, and it's really common amongst like perfectionists, um, overachievers, uh, especially if you were like a golden child, gifted child, Mm -hmm. where the, the only source of happiness is a tangible form of success or an accolade or an achievement or an award. And then we get to them, we work really hard, we get to that point and it means nothing to us. Yep. Because we have wasted, not wasted, but spent so much time with this like very singular focus Mm. that we forgot to live the rest of life. Totally. Just falls to the side. 100%. And it doesn't mean as much anymore.
0: It's, that is so true. I was talking to my sister, she was on the podcast ages ago. Mm. She was saying, because she was an elite athlete throughout all her 20s. And it was like all different sports, but always elite, elite, elite. Yeah. And she said it got to a point for her that when she would win a gold or first or whatever, by the time she won it, the only thing she felt was relief. She's like, I'm not even happy. (laughs) Like I'm not sad, but I'm just like, oh, thank God. Thank God I haven't let these people down. Thank God I haven't let myself down. Thank God I'm still living up to this standard. It's like, that's not a way... And then she really was like, I can't do this. It's not fulfilling in my life. So she's like, unless I can reframe how I look at succeeding or or competing or anything, I shouldn't be doing this because it's not really, you know, and she took time off competing and she started doing weightlifting for fun. Mm. She's very strong, so she was just killing it in general. Mm. But she, she started thinking all my focus is on just like, jing, up everyone else around me. And she had the most fun. Weightlifting in all, in every other career she had had. And you see her at like competitions, she would send me videos. And the people that were in her category, versing her, the loudest person in the room cheering them on is my sister. And oh. it's her competitor. She's like, you can fucking do it. And I love it. probably
1: because it was such a new environment for She's her. She's
0: like, I realised that the journey was it for me. This yeah. is so fun. I've met these people. It's unbelievable. If if I was like, I have to win at no cost, at, at all costs, no matter what, yeah. I'm missing out on the reason why I'm here in the first place because yeah. I want to do something that makes me feel fulfilled.
1: Mm. And but community as well. Exactly.
0: Mm. It's not the gold that will make you feel fulfilled. While that's a nice little cherry on top, if you're not feeling fulfilled in the process of it, whether it be sport, career,
1: anything you do, Mm. it's not going to be fulfilling when you get it, Mm. you know? I 100% agree. It's like, it it is such like a bit of a, like a bit of a curse where it's like, so yeah, I do think it's a bit of a curse where you're like, okay, so really what's the point then sometimes where you're like, oh, like if this isn't going to make me happy, what's the point of working towards it? Totally, And it's like, okay, wait, stop. Because if you're constantly just living your life for the next big thing, the next love, mm. the next time someone says you're doing your great job, the mm. next promotion, the next whatever, the next milestone in your life, it's almost like you were on like fast forward. Yeah. Where you're just like, I'm just going to speed through everything so else. That's so true. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I think about this a lot with um, friends of mine who, and honestly, there's no judgment here. I love them dearly, honestly, but who you see and they're like, all right, I want to get to the point of being married, like, right now. Yeah. Like, I've just met this person, like, let's speed this up because Mm. this is all I've ever wanted. And then it's like, okay, you got engaged, you bought a house, you bought a dog, you did all these things (laughs) within, like, two months. And then it's like, (laughs) and then I remember one of my friends was like, oh, there's really not much to look forward to. (laughs) It's like, what's the rush? I was like, yeah, I was like, Mm. what about the wedding? She's like, yeah, I guess, but then what after that? Mm. And I was like, oh, okay, well, maybe you need to slow down and think about, like... Like what what's, making, what's yeah. making
0: you happier in yeah.
1: the now? Yeah, like you yeah. just got a new puppy. I know, like milk it. It's yeah. so good. Well, then she was like, well, oh, he's going to die soon. And I was like, you need to stop, stop. catastrophizing the future. You need to stop f- future tripping. Yeah. Stop trying to predict yeah. what's going to happen. Future tripping is a big one. That is a huge one. Especially in our 20s where you're like, you know how we were talking about sunk costs? Mm-hmm. Where it's like, oh my God, I have this degree. What am I going to do with it? And then you get into this future tripping spiral. You're like, well, then I'm going to become an accountant, and then in thirty years I'm going to wake up and I'm just going to hate my life, and like, yes. I'm going to regret everything. It's like, no, you have human agency so, in those moments. It's like yeah, there's you can moments, do something, you can, you can change. That's right. You're mm. not
0: some like hostage along the way if you're in yeah, line, you're
1: not a hostage to your own life <laughs> yeah Gosh, good little nuggets of wisdom <laughs> no, coming no, out I need here. to like re-listen <laughs> to this whole thing and just like pull out yeah, one line I'm and like... we make them like episode titles <laughs> yeah yeah and then we only play that we just played the line again and again again. it's just like a repeat. pep talk <laughs>
0: people listen to it as like a mantra I'm not a hostage well, what was the one
1: that you said before um, your potential getting stuck in your potential yeah sitting in your sitting potential. your potential yeah um, I love that
0: love that that's a whole another episode for us to I do wanna,
1: I want to put that in a little meme <laughs> one <the> yeah <laughs> Shrink it like a little cocktail. I
0: love that. Okay, actually, we actually have to go out for cocktails. Okay, the last thing is um, friendships changing in your 20s, which I actually think really contributes to a bit of a quarter-life crisis, the evolution of friendships.
1: Because remember your equation for happiness, the second one is connection. Mm -hmm. So I actually think when you think about it, it's growth, connection, and what was it? Purpose. Purpose. Right? So we've talked about like a lack of growth, Mm. a lack of purpose, and now a lack of connection. Connection. One of my the things that I really dislike the most, one of the biggest misconceptions about our 20s that I find a real problem with is that you need to be surrounded by as many friends as possible, mm. that you sh- you need to have this big group of friends who you see all the time, that you need to have a best friend. Mm. And I think that those ideas of what friendship should look like keep us in a state of constant social comparison. Totally. And just not even social comparison, just personal comparison where we're comparing what we have to an expectation or a norm yeah, and it's always going to leave us deeply unhappy and not being able to appreciate what we have. Like I'm sure you had this when you were in your twenties, mm-hmm. you go through so many different periods, seasons, transitions. Massively. People yep. will fall, fall away. People yep. will find their own way back to you sometimes, but a lot of time they drift apart. Yep. It's so true. And like
0: friendships, go through, it's seasonal, like they go through their seasons. There are times where you're so tight with certain people and then they drift away. And I think when you put too many expectations on a person or a group of friends, it, it can be damaging almost because mm. you've got your life that you're going through. They've got their shit that they're going through. And it's almost like, how can we exist together? Yeah. But acknowledging, like, I've got some friends that I don't talk to for eight months at a time. And then when we see each other, it's like, oh, and there's no judgment, you know, like not that, not with ones that live in the same city, I see, you know, but I've got friends like, okay, one of my friends, she lives in LA, Carly, Mm. she's actually been on the podcast and we lived together in LA for a while. And we have such different lives, different time zones. We might react to a story here and there, but our friendship is so Random that maybe once every four months we'll jump on a Zoom call, mm-hmm. a video a chat call, and we'll have a wine and we'll go for hours. Mm. But then we can go months without talking, and it's this mutual understanding that I picked her up from the airport on Friday, and we spent all day together because mm-hmm. she came for my cousin's wedding. She's good friends with my cousin. Oh, that's a cute. Like it was friends, with yeah, your it was, family. It was so good. I met her through my cousin, so it was like, oh, lovely. Yeah. Okay, and she, it's just those friendships that it doesn't mean that she's less. Of a friend or less close. It's those beautiful friendships where we have a mutual understanding of where we're at. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my best friend Liv, I see her most days, but she lives in the suburb next door. You know, like we we just happen to want coffee at the same time every morning. So, like, yeah. it's, it's not to say. I think if you can be more understanding of the different kinds and flavours of friends that you can yeah. have, it it makes you have less expectation. I think removing expectation makes you so much happier.
1: It does. And it's really interesting because when we think about the kind of principles of like attract- of attractiveness and connection and like, I don't know, intimacy, platonic intimacy, right? Like you're talking about your friend Liv. Was mm-hmm. it Liv? Yeah. Liv. Yep. Yeah. Like the easiest friends- friendships are the ones that are like convenient and close in proximity. Yep. Yeah. And I think that in our 20s, a lot of that proximity and closeness and ease disappears. Yeah. Because you said, you know, your best friend, like one of your best friends, Carly, is living in LA. Yeah. I was talking to my mum last night and it was like, it was so easy in uni because everyone had to be in the you same town. You have to town. see each other. Look at high school. It, high school's you even better for, example. They're forced friendships, you know. They're convenient. And sometimes yeah. they last after that. A totally. lot of them do. But the thing is, is that you're going to have this like period of like what I call like the life splinter, mm. where it's like you've got a friend living in Paris, you've got a friend living in Tasmania, you've got a friend living in London. Those friendships are not going to be what they once were, but you're going to just do yourself so much more harm if you keep expecting them to bounce back to how you related? It to yeah, like when you're 18 or mm. 19 or 20. And I have this um, theory called the friendship roller coaster. It's this idea that in our 20s, when we're going through a bit of a quarter life crisis, we are all strapped into the friendship roller coaster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so you can be super high one day. You're like, I have so, I, I almost have too many friends. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, how yeah, am yeah, I going to see all these people? And then it's like two days later, you're like, I am going to die alone. Solitude is sacred. Like, <laughs> literally you'll be like in the depths of yeah, despair I've got, I've got all these people but no one's my best
0: friend and i don't have you'd be like making lists of
1: like who would show up to my funeral no one like <laughs> it's so depressing oh but God. the the only thing that has changed between the high and the low is how you see the situation yeah and yeah. that is that is where i what i that's like the, the core premise of the friendship roller coaster mm, is I love that that. it's not that our friendships that's... are changing yep. right it's that we are like we're trying to adapt and and kind of hold on. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, totally. Like try leave space for this stuff. And if you look at like when you
0: became friends, if your life circumstances have changed since when you became friends, of course the dynamic of that relationship is going to be altered in some way, shape or form. If you're friends in high school, you're all forced to be there. You can then, and I have many friends from high school still, mm. but a lot that I don't, and no malice, but it's like we just drifted and we were never close enough to find each other again and that's fine. And I think you find a – you. Walk out of high school and you're like, right now I have to actually actively put in the effort. So now, who's mutually going to actively put in the effort with each other? And there's no, no, not it's not a bad thing. It's not a good thing. It just is what it is. And then on top of that, like you said, everyone's going to uni. Everyone's got their like every every,
1: there's shit going on in people's lives. A lot going on. People going through breakups. People are meeting new partners. Yes, that's a that's a huge one. one,
0: Huge one where you feel like left behind in your friend's life when they.
1: You know. and, and also, like, as someone who's just gotten into a new relationship, not new, it's been a while, but, like, yeah, somewhat new. Mm. When a partner comes into your life, your entire, like, the center of your orbit, of your social orbit, like, shifts. Yeah. Used to be your friends, and now it's, like, this one person. Mm. And I found that to be really difficult because I felt, like, I fell so deeply into this relationship Yeah, that... It was really – I neglected some of my friendships for mm-hmm. a while. And I've had to – I've come back, like, eight months later being like, please forgive me. Yeah. I I was just obsessed. And, like – and I can see that that it also changed the dynamic for them where they were like – Where is she? Where are yeah. you? And yeah. I was like, that's totally fair. But, like, yeah, I was like, yeah, so fair. But, but it's that, a big
0: thing. That's one thing I've said to the, my listeners as well. I feel like when your friend is madly in love, give them a few months grace period. Like, yeah.
1: We're all
0: – you know, passionate creatures, it's really hard to strike a balance when you're in love in that, you know, the honeymoon period. It's like Mm. it's intense. We've all experienced it. So I would say as frustrating as it is, give them a few months and then maybe a couple of months in, four months in, three months in, whatever, just gently remind them, being like, hey, it's been a few months. I love you. But we've we're
1: fucking not seeing yeah. you. Like, what, and your you boyfriend's know? been here or your girlfriend yeah. or your partner.
0: Yeah. yeah. Which yeah. I
1: I was like, I was a I did that. And I was and like, it's right.
0: fine. And I think if you do it in that loving, understanding yeah. way, then instead of this attack of like, you've abandoned us for your friends, you've abandoned if you do that, mm-hmm. then someone's gonna feel like, wow, now I'm torn. Instead of being like, All right, I've had my little bubble. Now I'm gonna navigate being in a relationship
1: while Let's bring some balance know. back. Yeah. Here. yeah. Totally. That is just one part. I think Yeah, relationships are a big part of changing friendships. People moving, going through their own transitions. Mm. Mm -hmm. And then I think another one is just like people, it's called like what I call like the replacement theory. Mm. Not really a theory. The idea of like people find people who are better for them. Yep. And a lot of the time that can make us incredibly jealous. And that's totally understandable. You feel a little bit possessive because... You love them so much you've mm. come to depend on them in a very deep way and the entrance of someone else can feel like a threat massively but i also think that if you hold on to relationships too tight that are trying to get space to breathe that are trying to find their own room to grow mm. you're just going to suffocate them like yeah and also i think it's really interesting and sad when you realize that you were the only one putting in effort yeah, and that you were the only one really being like, we should meet up, we should get, we should do this, we should do that, and you're like, okay, well, what if I stepped back here what and just happen? let the relationship be what it is in its natural state? Yeah, and sometimes it like actually blossoms, other times it it, it fizzles. fizzles. Yeah,
0: and 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 that's it. I think you realize that for a lot of the time it might fizzle out, and maybe not permanently, but it might fizzle into just a different category of friendship that yeah. might not be your inner circle anymore It does it's not a I bad thing that. it just might change yeah. you know like I've got some friends who I adore but for ages I used to try and force them into one category of my friends and it's like mm. yeah but every time we're together we're so good so we you know and this one particular friend of mine she would flake all the time biggest flake and I was like this is rude it's disrespectful it's this it's that and but every time we were together, I had the best time with her. So I'm like, mm. I'm putting so much expectation. She's just a flake. That's who she is. So I either decide never to hang out with her again because mm. it, But I'm like, I'm not willing to lose that friendship because of this. I'm prepared to just deal with it. So now when I invite her, my expectations are low. And if she can make it, I'm like, awesome. I get to spend yeah. time. You know, I just, whereas if it was a best friend that I see all the time, if you're flaking on me 27, my expectations are higher of you because you're my yeah. best friend, you know. Yeah. So there's a level Of expectation,
1: yeah. What do you feel? Yeah, go on. Oh, I was going to say, what do you feel about the idea of like needing of like needing to have a best friend? I don't think, I don't think you have to. No, Mm. no, because even when I talk about my
0: best friend, that yes, live. But Mm. I also like my cousin Giselle is Mm. my best friend. My sister is my best friend as well. I've got so really, it's not one. Do you know what I mean? You need to have that inner network. (laughs) It's an inner circle, really. Yeah. Um, of people that you, that are your, your people, you know, and like what you were saying, when someone comes into your friend's life where you feel isolated, I think one of the best things you can try to do, I mean, read the room. Sometimes people are just like, I don't like him anymore. I don't want to, whatever. (laughs) But in general, I think a good thing is whenever possible, try and do things with both of them. Try and get to know this other friend. You know, that's a new friend for you. Exactly. And sometimes when you're competing, it feels like the walls are up. My defences are up. If you think, how can I find common ground with this person? They must be like, yes, I'm feeling threatened. Mm -hmm. But if we're best friends and they're finding a new friend, this new friend must be a legend. Like, come on. Like, if I, you know, like they must be good. So how can I find a way to really start to get to know them, put in the Mm -hmm. effort? I might hate them, but
1: chances are I won't, you know. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes people are, do you get protective? Mm. And that's, I think it's that point where I just really, I know this sounds bad, but I've just like gotten to the point where I'm like, I'm just going to take a hands off approach here.
0: Totally. If it's not, like, if it's not received, if I'm trying to yeah. be like, hey, let's, and the other friend's like, a bit of a friendship hoarder. Yeah. That's when I'm like, you know where to reach me. You, you know, know where to reach I'm me. I'm not going to fight. I'm not going to fight for attention or for love. Like, uh, you know, I love you. I've tried. Yeah. Here I
1: am. Yeah. You know? I totally agree with that. I I was just thinking about this when you were talking about that. But all throughout university, I didn't have many, I literally didn't have any friends in high school. I was like a bit of a loner. Mm. I went to like a school where I didn't really fit in. And then I was like, always had this idea of like, I'm going to get to uni, I'm going to make all my friends. And Mm -hmm. that happened. And I got to uni and I was like a pig in mud. And I got (laughs) greedy. I was like, (laughs) I got greedy with my friends. I was like, everyone I meet they need to be my best friend yeah because I was I'd never had it before I so never like had this yeah excitement it was like, this intensity I was like oh my god everyone everyone yeah. everyone like come here come here and then I was like okay I actually I see that the reason I'm doing and then it, it's been a huge shift leaving uni like a, a while ago now but mm. like and seeing what adult friendship is now like yeah it's not as easy to make friends but also you really need to like cultivate the relationships with the people that really matter to you. Mm, mm -hmm. And sometimes that like actually involves being a little bit picky and being a little bit like selective in that if you have a million friends, you can't spend time with all of them. No. You, I don't, it's just impossible. No. Yeah. So part of like, I think the friendship transition, the change in our twenties is seeing the group expand and then shrink and being okay with the shrunk version of what your social life looks like. That's so true. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I it's love still that. still scary though. It is. But it's that's fun. so,
0: yeah, I love that. I love that explanation. Before we go and wrap up, can you just plug everything about you? Where can listeners yeah. find you? What is your podcast specifically about? All of the above.
1: I always get so nervous with this bit, but it is called The Psychology of Your 20s. It's in the name. We break down very core experiences of our 20s friendship breakups career anxieties situationships procrastination and we break down the psychology behind it and what the science has to tell you about what you're going through so Find me wherever you get your podcasts. I love that. Thank you you so much. Thank you. I
0: loved the chat. We literally were like, oh my God, how has it already been an hour? We just don't understand. Yeah. Um, I'm also on your podcast as well. It will be out on on the 15th of December. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, thank you so much for listening. Love you guys so much. As always, please remember be kind to yourself, be kind to your brain. Don't take shit from anyone, and especially don't take shit from yourself. Duncan. Listener.